Hello, my name is David Ewan. I'm one of the leaders of the Resurrection Center with Pastors Jose and Melly Martinez. This is the K-Radio with Bible 101 as we wrap up the entire summary of 66 books of the Bible. This project started nearly a year ago, just eight months ago, and now we see the checkered flag as we round the corner to the finish. It's been a blessing and an honor to present this to you. So let's get started and review some of the final books of the Bible that we will give in this presentation of Bible 101. Today we'll talk about 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. In 1 Peter, Peter writes to Christians who are being persecuted, encouraging them to testify to the truth and live accordingly. In 2 Peter, Peter writes a letter reminding Christians about the truth of Jesus and warning them that false teachers will come. In 1 John, John writes a letter to Christians about keeping Jesus' commands, loving one another, and important things they should know. In 2 John, it's a brief letter about walking in truth, love, and obedience. And in 3 John, an even shorter letter about Christian fellowship. And in the second-to-last book of the Bible, we'll talk about a letter encouraging Christians to contend for the faith, and even though ungodly persons have crept in unnoticed. And finally, in the book of Revelation, we'll see how John sees visions of things that have been, things that are, and things that are yet to come. So let's go to 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Again, 1 Peter. Uh, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter writes to Christians who are being persecuted, encouraging them to testify to the truth and live accordingly. And in 2 Peter, Peter writes a letter reminding Christians about the truth of Jesus and warning them that false teachers will come. And so let's go to 1 Peter. No other book of the Bible focuses on suffering and glory as much as 1 Peter. This epistle was written to give Christians a fuller understanding of what is going on, the present sufferings, and the glories to come. This letter from Peter focuses on the suffering and glory of Christ and his church. While Paul briefly explores Christian suffering with the Thessalonian church, Peter writes a whole letter on the issue. To Peter, Christian suffering isn't just something to put up with, it's something to expect. No suffering is enjoyable, but Peter actually calls it a blessing. Here's a list of reasons why he sees it this way. First, we suffer as Christians. We identify with Jesus. So, after that, we share in his hardship. We will share in our king's glory. That's why, when we suffer as Christians, we identify with Jesus. After that, suffering is an opportunity to prove our faith. Next, it's an opportunity to do what is right, even when we are wronged. Christ set up, I'm losing my voice, Christ set an example of suffering for us to follow. The way we deal with persecution, persecution I should say, will bring our persecutors to glorify God. When we do what is right, no matter what the circumstances, God is pleased. So the Apostle Peter writes these Christians a letter to address these issues in two ways. 
Um, one is to testify the truth. The more they know about Jesus themselves and the world, the better they'll understand their difficult situation and to exhort them to live accordingly. So let me give you a quick outline of Peter. First, uh, suffering proves salvation. Number two, we are holy to people. Number three, Christ suffered for us. Uh, therefore, we live for the will of God. We exercise spiritual gifts. And number four, suffering tests us. Um, so let me go into more detail. Let's go to number one. Suffering proves salvation. Therefore, be holy, love one another, and long for the word. Number two, we are holy people, therefore pursue excellent behavior. And that means towards authority, towards spouses, and toward all. And number three, Christ suffered for us, therefore live for the will of God and exercise our spiritual gifts. And number four, suffering tests us. Therefore, elders should guard the flock. Humble yourselves under God and finally stand firm. So the book re reflects this focus. Peter explores a piece of doctrine and then encourages the Christians to apply it to their lives. He makes four of these back-to-back -back cycles. So let's see if we've, uh, well, I've got uh, three that we'll talk about. So Peter begins the, his letter by calling the uh, Christians aliens or residential foreigners to the Roman Empire. He then goes on to explain the relationship between suffering and salvation. Suffering lasts now, but it proves our faith so that joy and glory can come later. After explaining why Christians are different, Peter goes on to what the Christian family is, a spiritual house, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Suffering tests us. It's a way that we identify with Christ, and, we, and it never gives us an excuse to sin. The suffering Christian will still do what is right. So the theme verse of Peter is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to, be, to glorify God in this name. So that's all I wanted to say about 1 Peter. Now let's turn our attention to 2 Peter. So in 2 Peter, this is the Apostle Peter's last reminder to the church. Tradition holds that he was crucified around 64 to 65 AD, which means he would have written this letter about this time. Peter is about to die, and so he writes a quick reminder to Christians. He focuses on the sincere faith and teaching of the apostles and warns that false teachers will rise. Peter knows that he will die for the Lord and that his time was drawing near. But there is so much that the church needs to know and remember. False teachers are everywhere, causing divisions in the body of Christ. People will mock the promise of Christ's return. There are those who twist the Old Testament and even the letters of Paul. The church needs to remember the scriptures, the words of the Old Testament prophets and the words of Jesus that the apostles have passed on. Peter is an undisputed authority in the church. And so before he gives up his life, he writes a letter. And that's what this is all about. 
So here are uh, Second of Peter's uh, reminders for Christians. Second of Peter is the last attempt to help the global church by reminding them of the truth. Peter explains several things that the Christians will need to remember after he's gone. Number one, godly living is the evidence of salvation. If the Christians really believe that they will, if I'll say again, if the Christians really believe what they say they believe, they will display moral excellence, knowledge of self-control and perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. Number two, spiritual truth and prophecy are from God, not man. Peter and the rest of the apostles would die, but the world would remain forever. Number three, false teachers will try to deceive the church. They'll introduce uh, divisions um, and uh, divisive uh, teachings that encourage people to indulge in the sins of the world, a twisted, disgusting take on Jesus' grace. And number four, mockers will discount the idea of Jesus' return. Peter doesn't know when Jesus was coming back. He just knew better than to doubt him. Peter assures the church that Jesus is indeed returning and his church should behave accordingly. Peter had urged the church to stand firm in his first letter, but there will be no more letters from Peter. There will be no more sermons and no more miracles from this disciple who led the church for over 30 years. Second Peter urges the church to stand firm because even when Peter is gone, the church must carry on. So a quick outline of Second of Peter. Second of Peter displays some remarkable parallelism. Peter begins with a call to diligence and good works, reminds the reader that they can count on the prophets, and then warns that false prophets will rise. Peter then assures them that the old prophets are, are true and finishes with a call to be diligent and on guard. So that's all I wanted to say about 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Now let's turn our attention to 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So let's give a quick review of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. In 1 John, John writes a letter to Christians about keeping Jesus' commands, loving one another, and important things they should know. In 2 John, it's a very brief letter about walking in truth, love, and obedience. And in 3 John, it's an even shorter letter about Christian fellowship. So let's talk about 1 John. 1 John's role in the Bible is closely related to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written to persuade non-Christians to believe in Jesus and find eternal life in his name. Conversely, the first letter of John is written so that those who believe in Jesus would know that they have indeed found life in him. So John lists 12 reasons for writing this letter. Number one, so that he and the church may have joy. Number two, so that they would not sin. Number three, because their sins are forgiven. Number four, because they know God the Father. Number five, because they know Jesus. Number six, because they have overcome the evil one. Uh, next, number seven, because they are strong. Number eight, because the word of God abides in them. 
Number nine, because they know the truth. Number ten, because no lie or false teaching can come from the truth. Number eleven, because some would try to deceive them. Number twelve, so that they would know they have eternal life. No other book of the Bible talks about love as often as First John. About one in every 50 words is a form of love that makes for about 52 mentions of love in just five short chapters. And it's no surprise, love is evidence of salvation, as we find in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. And John says that God himself is love, and that's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. So the outline of 1 John is as follows. It's basically four parts. Number one, the children of God keep his commandments. Number two, Spirit of God affirms Jesus' first coming. Number three, the children of God love one another. Number four, things the child of God can know. And that's all I wanted to say about first of John. Now let's turn our attention to second of John. So John writes this second letter to the chosen lady and her children which may refer to a particular church leader or perhaps metaphorically to a local church or group of churches. John refers to this lady's chosen sister at the end of this letter, and that's in 2 John uh, 13. This letter repeats many themes from John's first letter that we talked about, and also 3 John reflects these themes as well. Overall, the three letters from John give us an idea of what the apostle thought was most important at the time, sound teaching, obedience to God, and brotherly love. Second of John, in second of John, he spoke about truth, love, and obedience. Now he writes to tell them uh, what to do about it. In second of John, uh, he briefly explains the relationship between um, truth, love, and obedience. So, number one, love and truth. John loves those who know the truth because the truth abides in them. When the two parties know the truth, love comes naturally. That's number one. Let's go to number two. Truth and obedience. God the Father commanded that his children walk in truth. When you know truth, obedience comes naturally. Number three. Obedience and love. The commandment that God gave isn't anything new. Love one another. A sure sign of obedience to God is love for his church, and a sure sign of love is obedience uh, to God. Uh, now, the quick outline of Second of John is as follows. Number one, walk in truth. Number two, love others and obey, uh, and obey God. Number three, beware of false teachers. And number four, uh, look forward to a visit, the coming of Jesus. So that's all I wanted to say about 2nd of John. Now let's turn our attention to 3rd of John. <clears throat> so in 3rd of John, that is the... I'm just going to pause for a moment as I clear my voice. Okay, so let me get back to where I was. So 3rd of John is the shortest book of the Bible. It's only 219 words in its original Greek. 
This represents uh, many themes from John's first letter, and second uh, of John reflects these themes as well. Third of John shows us what happens when people follow sound teaching and when they don't. When Christians walk in truth, joy abounds. When someone in the church rejects the truth, everyone hurts. When Christians support one another, they share fellowship in the truth. When someone seeks his own power, the fellowship is at risk. Overall, the three letters from John give us an idea of what the Apostle thought was the most important at the time. Sound teaching, obedience to God, and brotherly love. So here's a quick outline of John. A third of John, I should say. Number one, praise for the walking in the truth. Number two, praise for loving the brethren. Number three, caution regarding um, diatrephus. Uh, number four, anticipation of a visit. The idea is be ready, stand firm, uh, be alert of false teachings, and be ready for the coming of Jesus. So that's all I wanted to say about 1st of John, 2nd of John, and 3rd of John. Now let's go to the second to last book of the Bible, and that book is Jude. So let's talk about Jude. Jude came from an important family. The Lord Jesus Christ was his brother. Mary was his mother. James, the church leader, was also his brother. Jude hasn't always believed in Jesus. And, uh, but after all, he rose from the dead. Things changed. The world changed. His brother changed. Jude changed. Now he shared this glorious salvation with people all over the world, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all united in Christ. He desperately wanted to write about it. So Jude references all sorts of Old Testament figures and events, including Exodus from Egypt, the generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Cain, the son of Adam, who killed his brother, the prophet Balaam, who tried to curse the Israelites in exchange for money, uh, Korah, who rebelled against Moses and Aaron, but was swallowed up by the earth, Enoch, the descendant of Adam and ancestor of Noah, whom God took from the earth before he died, um, all of this. The book uh, of Jude is also a call to fight, and Jude tells them how to combat the attack against the faith in the church. He speaks to the people and says, number one, build themselves up in faith. They are to pray in the Holy Spirit, maintain themselves in God's love, and wait for eternal life in Jesus. And number two, show mercy to others. They should have mercy on those who doubt, even on those who are stained by sin. They're to be rescuers, snatching some out of the fires that will come. So that's all I wanted to say about Jude. Now let's go to the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. So again, the book of Revelation is the 66th book of the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation is traditionally attributed to the Apostle John who also wrote a gospel and three New Testament letters that we talked about already in this presentation. Uh, Revelation's symbolic visions are similar to what you'd see in the Old Testament prophecies of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. Some of the visions are explained for us, as such as the Lamb is Jesus. That's in Revelations chapter 17, 14. 
and uh, the dragon is the devil. That's in Revelations chapter 12, verse 9. So in, here, in, um, a, a, as we have the book of Revelation, John is in uh, exile on the island of Patmos. He is, his crime bearing witness of Jesus, and that's in Revelations chapter 1, verse 9. So somebody didn't want John spreading uh, this gospel message, and so they shipped him off to an island. So he's contained. But now John has received even more news to share. It all starts one Sunday when John hears a voice behind him. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. John turns around to see seven golden lampstands, and among them, the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus gives John a message for seven churches in Asia, and this is in modern-day Turkey. Of the seven, one is about to undergo intense suffering. You hear about that in um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. One has kept his word, that's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, and the other five were faltering in their loyalty to Jesus. The Lord warns the churches that he is the righteous judge and he knows their deeds. He calls the faltering churches to repentance and makes seven encouraging promises to those who overcome. Uh, so then John is whisked into heaven to witness what must take place after these things. So begins a long series of prophetic visions for the churches, and it includes, number one, a lamb who represents Jesus, breaks seven seals, holding an old book shut. Each time a seal is broken, it triggers an event on earth, some of which are catastrophic. And we see that in Revelations chapter 4 through chapter 7. Uh, the next one, seven angels blow seven trumpets, and each trumpet blast brings a plague on the earth. And that's in Revelations chapter 8, verse, uh, chapter 8 through 11. Um, the next one, a great dragon, Satan, and two beasts make war against a certain woman and the saints. And that is in Revelations uh, 12 through 14. Uh, the next one, seven angels pour out seven bowls and each bowl brings another plague on the earth. And that's in Revelations 15 through 16. Uh, the next one, uh, the lamb overcomes the wicked city of Babylon. The dragon and the beast then brings about a final judgment day, and that's in Revelations 17 through 20. Um, and uh, the, then next... Um, a new heaven and a new earth appear where God and the Lamb dwell with people in harmony forever. And that's in Revelations 21 through 22. John faithfully writes everything down as a prophetic letter to the seven churches with a closing message from Jesus. I am coming quickly. So as you read and study Revelation, keep a, a few things in mind. There's three things. Number one, this message is written to churches in Asia, which had both Jewish and Gentile members. Number two, Jesus begins everything with messages to the churches who are dealing with distraction, persecution, false teaching, immorality, laziness, and stagnation. 
And number three, the correct response to this letter is to come to Jesus and invite others. And you see that in Revelations chapter 2, verse 17. So here's a, a quick outline of Revelation, a quick review. Number one, it's John's greeting and its introduction. Number two, it's Jesus' message to the seven churches. Number three, it's the visions of what comes after these things, such as the Lamb who was slain breaks seven seals, the seven angels sound their trumpets, the dragon, the beast, and the saints, uh, the seven bowls of God's wrath, the Lamb overcomes Babylon and judges the earth, and finally, the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And then the book ends with how to respond to John's visions, which you see in Revelations chapter 22, verse 10 through 21. Um, and so in just 25 verses, um, or 66 books, we have covered all of the books of the Bible. Um, so in First of John, uh, we talked about uh, him writing a letter to Christians about keeping Jesus' commands, loving one another, another and important things uh, they should know. We talked about Second of John, a brief letter about walking in truth, love, and obedience. And a third of John, an even shorter letter about Christian fellowship. Uh, then we talked about Jude, a letter encouraging Christians to contend for the faith, even though ungodly persons have crept in unnoticed. And in the book of Revelation, we talk about how John sees visions of things that have been, things that are, and things that are yet to come. This concludes the entire summary of Bible 101. This is all 66 books of the Bible. All of this was completed in just eight months. It's been an honor and a blessing. My name is David Ewan of the Resurrection Center with Pastors Jose and Melly Martinez, and this is Bible 101 on the K Radio. And that's a wrap.